0: Welcome to Stanford Cinema. I am your host. My name is Andrew. Thank you very much for downloading this latest episode. And this week, we have something really interesting in store for you. I'm super proud to share it with you. Recently, I think it was like maybe last month, I had the pleasure of chatting on the phone with Mr. Ray Buffer. If you are new to his work, he's an actor, singer, musician, uh, working out in LA. He has a ton of credits to his disposal, including an appearance on one of my all-time favorite shows, Curb Your Enthusiasm. And if you look closely, he may or may not appear in the all-new Brad Pitt film, Bullet Train, which is out now. We'll talk a little bit about that. Well, we'll we'll talk a little bit about whether he is or is not in in, uh, Bullet Train. Uh, I'm really excited to share this episode because Ray is going to shed some really fascinating light on I guess for lack of a better term, the grind it takes to make it as an actor today, you know, in both a pre and post COVID landscape, I think you're going to enjoy it. So definitely check out uh, the the podcast notes on this for this episode, because I'm going to have a bunch of links, including those to his website, as well as his IMDb page, you know, so you can just keep up with everything that is planned in the near future for Mr. Ray. So without further ado, please welcome to the show. Ray Buffer. Again, Ray, um, may I call you Ray, first and foremost? Of course, of course. Thank you very much for, for taking the time and speaking with, uh, with my podcast. I know your schedule is very busy, so I do appreciate you, uh, you hanging out with me.
1: Yeah, no, it's a pleasure. I, I love to chat and talk about movies and whatever else you want to talk about.
0: Now, what we typically do is it's usually more of like a film discussion. You talk about a movie, whether it's something that you love or you hate, But seeing that, obviously, you are a working actor, I'm really just kind of intrigued just to hear a little bit about your process, how you got in the industry, you know, certain type of characters that you've played, certain type of characters that that uh, that you're attracted to, you know, other things that may have may have like stood out within your career. So if you've got a few minutes, I'd love to love to chat about that. And of course, before we're all done, I would love to know what your favorite films are.
1: Of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. Well, where to start i I, I was born in Florida, uh, and I spent um, most of my um, early adulthood in Florida. I, I lived in South Florida, West Palm Beach um, and I went to school in Boca Raton and then got married, moved to Orlando for the final five years I was in Florida, and then I moved out to Southern California in two thousand and um, yeah I mean I, I um, at an early age, I began playing a musical instrument, which led to singing, which then led to acting. And um, in high school, um, I fell in love with this uh, genre called musical theater, and decided that, that would be that would be my passion. that would be what I went to college for. And while in university, I actually started working professionally um, in regional and dinner theaters, and um, got my equity card and You know, as a sister union rule, I could have joined SAG or after right away, but I kind of wanted to go slow. And uh, when I went to Orlando, um, there were a lot of equity contract jobs there. If I wasn't acting, sometimes I would stage manage. So I would see, you know, the business side of of performing. And um, when I moved to California, uh, I was married at the time, and my my ex uh, got a promotion through the Disney company which moved us uh, uh, to California. And I kind of had to start over because California isn't so much a musical theater um, arena like like Florida, but the theme parks and everything close together uh, would be. Um, This was uh, kind of a culture shock. I had to get, kind of had to start over, um, started to do background work again, which I had done early on in my career in Florida, but I kind of had to start over and, and do the background work and I knew right away that um, even though I could make more money and join SAG because I was already a member of Actors' Equity, I didn't want to do that because I don't know if you're old enough to remember, but back in 2000, we didn't have um, Google Maps. We didn't have right. navigation. We had, we had these, um, these Thomas guides, right, with spiral bound with maps that we carried in our car, and when I had to go to location or something, you know, especially being a stranger in a strange land, I didn't want to get lost as a professional actor and have that help weigh in on me. So I stayed non-union and did some background work for a while. So I got my bearings, then I joined the union, and then I started getting better roles. Um, and then things kind of fell off around 2004, 2005. I thought things were going to take off. I thought I had momentum, but they didn't. So I went back doing some survival jobs, doing some Um, some behind the scenes work in the arts industry. Um, I worked as a a marketing uh, person for the Laguna Playhouse. I did uh, general manager work for the Long Beach Opera. And as I began to work for these other companies, helping them realize their dreams, I realized I could start my own company. So I did that. I started a company called The Relevant Stage in 2007. Um, which ran for a few years in San Pedro, California. And then I started a company with a partner called Art Relation in Long Beach, where I now live. And we were up and running until the pandemic hit. And then we had to take a step back. But all that while, um, I was still doing a little bit of TV film, a little bit of singing. But it wasn't until a year before the pandemic, around 2017, 2018, that I started pursuing my own acting career again and you know the work has just been there uh, even when peers were not working during the pandemic i kept working again you know i just have to knock on wood um, maybe i think i'm in the right place at the right time you know i've always been a big guy so this goes to answer your question about the type of roles i play i always usually get the thugs or the security guards or the you know the sheriff or you know the giant or the monster a lot of prosthetic roles, you know, um, and those are fun. And I, I don't, um, you know, you, you talk to some of these actors who've done Star Trek or, or something for a while, and they're like, "Yeah, I got typecast, I never got cast. And anything else with that." But you know, they get to live their lives, going to conventions, and you know, raking in the bucks, doing autographs. So, I mean, it, it's not a bad thing to be pigeonholed as one type of person. But um, I've always thought of myself as a character actor, and I've always. Uh, thought that I could pretty much play anything if given the opportunity. and so I, I I kind of diversify my 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 career in I will do the stuff that comes to me because of my type. But then I'll also do student films and low budget films that kind of take me out of that that um, you know that cookie cutter shape and show me in a different light so that I can say, Hey, look at this demo, real look. I can do. A dad, or I can do, you know, a French record producer, or, you know, I can do like different characters. I'm not just a So, um, so that's been where my career has been going lately is, uh, doing a little bit of the cookie cutter stuff. And then also trying to expand people's perception of what I'm capable of.
0: That was a uh, very thorough, uh, very, very helpful. I mean, you kind of knocked off like three or four questions that I had like right off the bat. So I appreciate that. Thank you for, uh, uh, uh for doing that. I, I just couldn't help, but also while you're mentioning like, you know, playing a large, uh, you know, your, your frame and everything, if they ever do like a Richard mall, like biopic, I think you'd be able to do the, uh, like the bull Shannon from uh, night court kind of a uh, kind of vibe.
1: Yeah, I get that a lot. Um, um, and then my, my response, too, is that he's almost 90. So do I, do I remind <laughs> you of Paul or of your memory of him back in the 70s and 80s? But yeah, yeah. No, I, I get that. And actually, I, I talked to my agent about that because I think I read him in the trade somewhere that John Larroquette was trying to executive produce a revival. You know, everything's being revived now. Of course, right? yeah. Um, but I think I, I, I'm pretty sure, unless I'm imagining that I think um, Harry Anderson's daughter was going to be in it and John Larroquette was coming back into it and I think maybe one or two other, you know, legacy cast members and then it was just going to be like a, um, a continuation of the story but, you know, however many years later and I was thinking, yeah, if Richard Mole does doesn't go back, maybe maybe they, you know, or maybe I could be like, you know, Richard Mole's son or, you know, you know, yeah. so I, I said to myself, you know, you know, keep track of this and see where it goes because You know, you're not you're you're very much not the first person to say that if I had a Bitcoin for every person that told me that I'd be poor because
0: Bitcoin's going. (laughs) (laughs) Now, uh, obviously, looking through your 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 resume and um, and just even uh, like the commercials and everything, Santa's another guy that you get a lot.
1: Santa, I get a lot. Frankenstein's creature, I get a lot. Those two, I've kind of been ping ponging depending on the season. Now's the time actually for me to start booking Santa and movies because a lot of the Christmas movies that want to come out, you know, this Christmas uh, that are on a fast track, uh, they're casting now. So, so yeah, um, uh, Santa has been a go-to. I think because of my size, I also play broad characters. You know, I tend to. And because of my musical theater training, I think that, um, you know, because acting on stage is much different than acting in film. So I think I, I tend to overact because of my training, and I have to kind of pull that back, make it more intimate when I'm doing TV and film. Um, my voice, I mean, you know, I'm from Florida, and when I was growing up as a, as a boy, I would very frequently say things like, oh, I got an idea. You know, so there was a little twang, you know, a little a little southern thing that I, affectation that I had to kind of leave. And and I think in my training, you know, I, I over-enunciate, I, I pronounce things, and I have a very resonant voice, so that lends to the overacting kind of vibe, you know, so uh, it's hard for me to you know, just talk normal. You know, I've a lot of support behind my words. Hey, bro, how you doing? So it just sounds like like a normal guy talking or having a conversation because I'm so used to projecting and supporting and, and putting air behind my words, and my vowel. So that's, that's a, uh, I'm not sure why I went on that tangent, but I, but that's a challenge I have right now is to uh, pull back. Oh, because of Santa, because Santa's very, you know, ho, 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 every Christmas, you know, it's, it's that, that very big kind of operatic sound. And I think, um, I think the voice has always been my core so like i told you earlier i started singing and then i fell in love with acting and musical theater and now i'm also trying to pursue voiceover work a little more avidly so the voice has kind of been the earth and everything else has been orbiting around the voice so when i get cast on something and i show up on set and when i read the lines and i do the scene the first thing people say is wow you have a great voice you know so you know it's all about I think what
0: I can do with my voice to, to fulfill the needs of any project. When you sing, is it a baritone or what? um, I'm a bass baritone. No, of all the hats that you've essentially worn and you've worn all of them, you know, whether you're, you know, acting, singing, musician, uh, running um, your own like production, what would you say you're happiest doing? Or are you just pretty flexible? Or do you, if you could only do one, what would you find yourself say, it's got to be singing or it's got to be acting.
1: Yeah, I was just talking to a new friend the other day, um, and he made me think about that a little bit more because he was talking about not voice in the, in the literal term of like what 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 my voice sounds like or what my voice type is, but more like what is your like your mission, your goal, like what is what is it you want to bring to to the craft or to to the world or you know, to a project, to a role, and I—I I, I don't think I've really quite figured all that out yet. I—I I, I hadn't really thought about it as—as as deep as as we were going with our conversation the other day. But I think that um, I think that I—I I realized while talking to him that I'm not a really strong entrepreneur. I'm—I'm not—I'm introvert, first of all. So networking, going out. In public and rubbing elbows with strangers or paying a cover charge to go meet a casting director at a bar somewhere. That's not been something I've engaged in. And uh, the person I was talking to actually was um, a new contact I made on Lunch Club. Are you familiar with Lunch Club?
0: No. What's a Lunch Club?
1: The Lunch Club, um, I'm not, I guess it's a free ad for them, but <laughs> Lunch Club, I guess, is, uh, is uh, some kind of, it's like a, like a map. Match.com for strangers who want to talk about their careers and want to uh, either get mentorship or meet someone in the industry or meet someone who has the ability to hire them or or be hired by them or, you know, whatever. It's kind of like a LinkedIn match.com, I guess, is the way I would describe it. And and it's artificial intelligence matching you with someone and you decide how many, uh, what the frequency is, how many meetings you want to take in a week or so. Um, so anyway, so I met this guy on here and we're talking about it and, and I realized, yeah, even though I started my own theater companies, I'm not, I'm not eager to like put a lot of work into creating something. So to answer your question, I would prefer to act just to show up on set. Someone else is producing it. Someone else has written the script. Someone else is worried about the props and the costumes and everything else. All I need to do is come there, have my lines memorized and be a sponge and and be pliable and meet the director not be a weirdo be a, a good guy that people want to work with and just have fun that's what i would was...
0: i like that. That's, that that's that's a great answer um now obviously you know your your career has been pretty extensive and obviously you, you mentioned after 2004 that was when you had your stint on Curb Your Enthusiasm correct
1: yeah, yeah, it was actually a more extensive stint than it actually turned out to be. But you know, a lot of times things end up on the editing room floor. Uh, there's a story. I think it was Adam Adam Brody. Adam Brody. I think it was Adam Brody who was in a movie. I can't remember what it was, but um, he actually uh, filmed quite a bit of, of footage for this movie. It might have been like Saving Private Ryan or something like that. But anyway, so he went to the red carpet. He got his picture taken. He went and sat down at where a man's Chinese theater watching the movie, waiting for his bit to come up, and it never came up. He was completely cut out of the movie, and no one gave him the 411 before he showed up, and he was just kind of mortified, but that, you know, and that's an A-list actor, right? So that if it happens to them, you know how many times it happens to the bit role players that people will go in and just do one day of work, um, and so, yeah, I filmed maybe a week and a half on Curb, and I have, like, maybe one cool scene to show for it, you know, Um, But what an experience to meet Mel Brooks, to meet Larry David, to meet um, uh, Ben uh, Stiller, uh, 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 David Schwimmer. Uh, I mean, just wonderful, cool people. I mean, just and and you imagine how they how they are behind the scenes. And and they're actually, you know, even better. I mean, they're they're you know, they're just really cool people. And so. uh, you know, it was it was a it was a cool experience um, going there day day after day and um, just getting immersed in in that environment. And I guess you know that's kind of like the that that's kind of the trickery of the mind is when you experience something like that, you begin to believe, oh, hey, maybe this is my new normal. Maybe this is momentum. Maybe maybe projects are going to just fall in my lap now. And it's it's actually when you start thinking that way that that the momentum stops. And so I'm trying to not think that way now, and even though I've, I've been having a stream of success. Um, I think it takes a lot of, you might have momentum and you might have a pipeline of work where you know, you've got projects you've auditioned for, callbacks, you've got chemistry tests, you've got things that you're having a reading on, you've got things that you have to go to for the first day of shooting, you've got things that are now in post, You've got things that are going to film festivals. You've got things that are about to come on TV. You got things that are in trailers and theaters. So you have a whole pipeline of things you can talk about, and that's kind of where I'm at now, where I have a pipeline. And but you got to keep you got to keep new stuff going into the pipeline, and so that's the challenge. And that's that's where I get my energy from is mm-hmm. making sure I'm
0: taking taking a baby step every day to. Put new stuff into my pipeline. That, that's wonderful because I was I was curious to know like how do you when when you're on something and obviously it doesn't necessarily com- completely translate into the next project immediately like how do you handle that ad, uh, like that uh, adversity and you kind of like covered that but I'm I'm kind of curious just to hear what that's like because I mean obviously doing what you do. Adversity is almost uh, like on the forefront, right? I mean, there are a lot more like swings and misses than swings and hits, right?
1: Yeah, no, there are. It's, it's really playing the odds. Uh, and I've gotten to the point now where, although I, I can't say I religiously believe in the numbers, I really feel that, you know, if, if I send out 12 or 13 self-tapes, one of them is going to come back as a booking. That's, that's kind of like a ratio I've and it may not be high paying. Um, it may be a student film or it may be, you know, it may be a really nice project, but you know, if I just keep churning out the opportunities, if I, if I just keep putting irons in the fire and, and the, don't just take a vacation and say, Oh, well, I'm just going to wait for something to fall on my lap. If I don't do that, then, then I play the numbers and, and they've been pretty consistent. And so, you know, regardless of whether it's pilot season or, you know, Christmas, January, or or what have you. I'm just playing the numbers and and
0: doing the work. Mm-hmm. So, by playing numbers, is that how you kind of like measure like success by obviously just like hustling and doing the grind, or what are some other like methods of like measuring that success?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, I try to look on the bright side and be a cup half uh, full person when I'm looking at you know projects that I'm doing. Um, I, I I look to see well what's the advantage for my career, you know, like what we're is this a project that's going to show me in a different light? Is this a project that <clears throat> that um, that challenges me in a certain way, or is this a project that will introduce me to a new director or a new team uh, of um, of filmmakers that you know hopefully maybe will like me, want to work with me again? Is this is this a project? You know, so there's a lot of these things that as I accept the work and I and I research that the people I'm working with, I think about those things and try to get ahead of the curve. And so that I can take advantage of the opportunity to have conversations with people or, you know, because the worst thing is working with someone and then you don't work with them again. You know, you leave that and and you never see them again, but you never really you had an opportunity to create a relationship or you had an opportunity to connect and you didn't use it. So I think that's one of the lessons I'm learning is to, you know, use social media to use, um, to break out of my introverted, you know, shell and actually force myself to rub elbows with people when I'm meeting them on the set, you know, mm-hmm. um, because given my druthers, I would probably just, you know, sit in a trailer and wait to be called to set, you know, but I, I have to, I have to become more of a salesman, uh, more of a, more of a self marketer um, every minute that I'm somewhere without being overly, you know, opportunistic, but you know what I'm saying? It just, you've got to, I, I have to be conscious, conscious of, um, of how
0: people are perceiving and, uh, try to make sure that I'm leaving good perception when it comes to like the overall like audition process. I mean, obviously yeah, I know that's, that's a rigor in itself, but for you, when you are auditioning for a role, I mean, I assume there are many other people auditioning for the same type of, of role, whether it's by stature or age, or, you know, the fact that, you know, tall white dude, whatever it is, you know, whatever it may be, how do you, how do you stand apart
1: well, I, you know, let me answer that in in another long-winded way. The, the <laughs> pandemic the pandemic changed things for actors, and, and some of those changes are staying in place. I mentioned self-tapes. We didn't used to do those as much um, before the pandemic. And because, you know, in-person auditioning was frowned upon, and, you know, there were lots of, you know, loopholes and lots of uh, red tape that one had to go through in order to, to actually be next to someone in a room early in the pandemic, um, we, we were given the opportunity to just record ourselves and our audition in. So that means not having to get in the car and drive, you know, an hour and a half through traffic, parking on the street, finding a parking ticket on your car when you came out, going into the waiting room, waiting for an hour and a half for that audition that should have happened an hour ago, um, meeting and seeing whoever you need to meet and see, saying goodbye to the person who checked you in, Walking out to your car, cussing at that ticket, getting in your car, <laughs> hour and a half of traffic. You know, so all of that was replaced with, okay, I'm gonna put my phone on a tripod, put my ring light here, got my script, gonna to try to look like I'm not reading my script, do my audition, look at the camera. Now I've gotta edit it. Now I've got to upload it. Now I gotta send it in. The timing is a little different, but some, now the work is about the same because now. We have to be our own lighting person, our own costumer. Mm. Got to have a backdrop, or you know, there's all these requirements that casting directors have now put into place for these self tapes that didn't initially exist. So now the time commitment's almost similar to when we got in our car and had to drive. But I can do maybe six or seven auditions a day now, mm. the new way, as opposed to one or maybe two the old way. So. I like in-person auditioning, but I like the fact that the majority is still self-taped. And to answer your question, I don't see the competition if I'm self-taped. Right. So I'm not walking into a room seeing 37 other people that look just like me, (laughs) you know, reading for the same role, psyching me out with how prepared they are. You know, all I see is my phone on a tripod at my condo. You know, in front of a ring light, so
0: which for an introvert has to be like a huge win, right there, right?
1: It is. It is. I think. I think maybe that's why I have found a, a place that I can thrive in now with my career. Is that I don't have to psych myself out. And, and you know, I, I would say I, I probably in my in, in my lifetime I've left two or three auditions early, not waited to audition because mm-hmm. I walked into a room and I and I, I thought to myself. Man, if I was the casting director, I'd pick that guy, that guy, and that guy before I pick myself, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you psych yourself out, you know, and you say, oh, well, I, I'm, I'm not going to waste another hour and a half, you know, here, let me just see what's next. Let's see what else I can go do, you know, and, and, you know, that's very self detrimental because it's like, you never know, you know, that the guy that the guy the three guys that you think are better than you in the room. Um, they could all have issues that that you don't even know about, or cast director might not like them personally or you know, or they might have a reputation that you don't know about or or maybe your perception of what's right isn't what the cast director producer's perception is. But you know actors do that. they play games, and uh, the other game that that I've weaned myself from from doing completely is looking in the rearview mirror. At the audition I just went to, and waiting, and waiting, and and, and wondering why the phone hasn't rung yet. Man, I thought it was perfect for that. Why didn't they call me yet? Let me check my let me check my emails again. Let me. I wonder. Oh man, I wonder if it was the bump on my nose, or you know, or what. Maybe it was this, or maybe it was that. And then actors can torture themselves doing that to where it starts to affect their ability to to apply for, for new work. So I just throw the sides away. I forget completely about it once I've once I've done it and executed it. And actually, you know, embarrassingly, a lot of times I'll get an offer for a job and I've forgotten completely about it. I'm like, I'm sorry, what what who are you? What is this for? What can you tell me more about the sprint? I'm sorry, how much does it pay? Uh, you know, so,
0: you know. So yeah, uh, I forgot what the question was, but hopefully I answered it. I'm 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 sure it is. I, at this point, I've already forgotten it. Um, I mean, I'm just I'm just having fun listening to you. You know, just uh, share these stories. Now, when I, I'm just kind of curious. Obviously, you know, just within your career, what is kind of like the the wildest character that you've played to date that you that you can think of?
1: If you're just talking about character-wise, um, you know, I, I actors do whatever they can to act, and so. For a series of years, I worked for um, a company called Epic Entertainment, um, my co-to. They produced um, uh, Queen Mary's Dark Harbor, which was an outdoor haunt attraction. And um, and because I'm a big guy, I, I, I would, especially earlier in my career, I did haunt attractions in Florida. Uh, there was a year-round one called Skull Kingdom that has since been taken down. Um, but, uh, you know, doing those kind of, you think of Hans as just the guy that jumps out and goes, boo, but it's, there's more to it than that. There are different characters you can play and, and different uh, ways you can interact with the public. But that's a form of environmental theater where you know you you try to immerse um, the audience in this environment to make them believe that they are there by surrounding them with nothing but things that fit into the context of that environment. So, I played a, a number of characters at Dark Harbor. One that I had fun with, actually in its final year before the pandemic, was a clown character called Pound Foolish. So, like, you have Pennywise, the clown. Mm-hmm. So, Pennywise, Pound Foolish. So, my clown, I named him Pound Foolish. But I had like these <laughs> these, these like suspenders and overalls and this Dr. Seuss looking wig. And and I
0: spoke in a happy voice like this.
1: <laughs> you know, and it was That's like a thing that anyone would expect. Right, that wasn't uh, disturbing at all, but <laughs> but that, but I mean that was in, in terms of outlandishness. I guess that was that would be mm-hmm. it. I, I did that same kind of thing where I played a little boy in a um, production of um, what was it? I can't think of the name of it, but it was like a theater for young audiences show, and I I played the younger brother to like a ten year old. So I, I was dressed in Oshkosh, you know, and and had the you know the cap and you know and, and again I used my falsetto voice for that role and that was outlandish and you know made the kids laugh and it was a paying theater gig and um, it was in Orlando back in the day, um, but I, I think you know in recent memory um, I'm looking forward to the Lord of All Space and Time I think it's called um, it's a short uh, that I just filmed where it's like a sci-fi Western and I get to play the black cat villain, you know, and I, I was pretty outlandish in terms of like how mean and cruel he is. Um, and you know, he, uh, he, he, uh, he meets, uh, um, a suitable demise uh, towards the end of the film, but, um, that was a fun shoot. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing where and when that comes out. Mm-hmm. The thing with the pipeline is, you know, you film a lot of things and then you wait that that's the waiting game I'm playing now. Like I throw the sides away after the audition, but now my challenge is once I film something, I want to see the footage. I want to see how it comes out. I want to see what the director did with it. And sometimes these things sit on the shelf for two, three years while they edit and perfect it in a certain way. And I don't have the patience for that. I'm like, gee, uh, I'll send them an email like, hey, how's, the, how's that project coming? Did it come out yet? Do you have any
0: footage, you know? And you shot something for Bullet Train as well, right? I did. And uh, that's, a, that's a question of whether that's going to end up on the editing room floor or
1: not. And that was, um, I, I, I do very little background work nowadays. Now I, I try to just do principal work, but I did do, um, that was featured background work. I was booked on. It was a week of work in the middle of the pandemic we actually had one day that someone on the crew got COVID or tested positive and uh, they had to cancel a whole day of filming. Um, and, but yeah, that was, I, I, I filmed, I was a Russian mobster. So there's somewhere in the movie, there's a scene where the train makes a brief stop for one minute. And um, one of the assassins comes out, the, the one, I forget the actor's name, the guy that played Quicksilver in the Avengers movie. Um, oh right right in- Yeah, he was kick uh, ass he was, he was kick in ass. And he was into kick ass yeah kick ass yeah. so that guy comes off the train and meets with some gangsters and I'm one of the gangsters there's like Yakuza and then there's Russian mobsters and um, the director did this little slow-mo sequence where we're you know walking towards camera looking all badass so I'm hoping you know some of those pieces are, are going to show up in the film but you never know
0: yeah you, you never know, know. Uh, I know we're running out of time, but just quick question, you know, and again, thank you so much for, uh, for chatting with me, but I'm curious, what do you, what do you watch? What do you, what are you into, whether it's a movie or shows, what does the Ray Buffer like to watch?
1: Yeah, well, I've, I've always been a comic book fan. Um, I'm a DC file and a Star Trek person as well, but I do watch Marvel shows and I watch um, Star Wars uh, shows as well. I I have a, a appreciation for it. But uh, actually, my movie that, that I, 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 I enjoy was Superman the movie because I'm adopted. And um, mm. Superman is also adopted. So he, growing up adopted, I related to the idea of a strange visitor from another planet crashing and being adopted by farmers, essentially. Because my father was a landscaper. My mother uh, worked as a uh, domestic uh, when she worked. Uh, otherwise, she was a stay-at-home. Um, um, and uh, and I grew up in a town called Green Acres, Florida, which was a suburb of West Palm Beach. So Green Acres, so you know, <laughs> yes, I have this kind of this, this redneck background, you know. But I always felt like uh, a square peg in a round hole, you know, growing up. And I didn't really look like my parents, and so so there, there were aspects of the Superman story that I guess I kind of related and fantasized about, um, and so. Eventually I actually identified uh, my birth family, both maternal and paternal side. But that's a long story for another day. But, um, but yeah, I watch, um, I, I do watch all the comic book adaption shows and, uh, sci-fi. Um, I enjoy, uh, binging on, on, you know, some of the dramas that I, I see on Netflix and on Apple. Um, I don't watch a lot of network TV. Um, but, um, Yeah, I I think I've always been a fan of science fiction and um, I I especially like time travel. Um, Mm. um, I think that that would be a fun genre to do more work in uh, if I ever am capable. And, um, you know, being a Star Trek fan and a DC Comics fan, I'd love to do some of their shows down the road. You know, Uh, I mentioned prosthetic roles. I would just get a kick out of being a Vulcan or a Klingon or something on something star trek in the, in the future.
0: Well, I appreciate that and I I look forward to uh seeing more of your work and you know just keep on you know keep on hustling. That's it's been an absolute treat uh chatting with you today and uh yeah if you want to come back and talk superman uh, that's one of my all-time favorites. So I mean, you know, I, I'd love to just even have a conversation about that film and shoot what that's like obviously being adopted and how that movie must've like connected with you as well. I can can only imagine the, the impact, especially, you know, uh, let's see if you were born in 69, that movie came out with 78. So, I mean, that would've been like perfect for like a young boy watching that movie at that time.
1: Very impressionable. You know, the byline was you will believe a man can fly. And I did, I mean, that, that made me a believer. I mean, you know, I had dreams about flying. And then The Greatest American Hero came out, you know, years later when I was a teen. And, you know, that was the, the fun flying sequences there. Um, but I, I'll leave you with a tidbit about um, Gene Hackman that I read, was that he did not want to be seen bald as Lex Luthor. Hmm. And he insisted on a variety of hair pieces that he could wear uh, every time he he showed he showed up. That was his his donation, his contribution to the story was, Actually, having toupees and wigs on at
0: various times throughout the movie, he, he didn't want Lex to be seen bald. That's funny. That's funny. Um, so, real quick, final. What What's next? What What do you, you know? What, uh, what 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 do we want to close with? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I just got
1: a booking the other day for uh, what I think will be a fun project. Um, I'm doing uh, oh, a couple things actually in the in the near future. Um, one is um, playing a a butcher. in a a comedy short called The Butcher. Um, And it's um, by a gentleman who I guess worked um, for a time for Saturday Night Live and has now moved uh, to California uh, to do some some filmmaking. And um, then I'm also going to Montana next month um, to shoot a Western to uh, uh, the parts up in the air because it looks like they have two roles that they're trying to decide which one to use me for. So I'm waiting to find out, but I do know that I'm booked and they sent me my travel date. So look forward to going out there, possibly riding a horse, seeing some beautiful country. Never been to Montana, so that'll be a first. And uh, Westerns as a whole seem to be coming back in the forefront. Uh, There's just an article in Variety about how Westerns are making a resurgence. So, you know, I, I moonlight a little bit, uh, filling in for people who can't work at not. Berry farm as a calico Train bandit so maybe once a week once a couple weeks i'll go in there work a shift that keeps my improvisational chops fresh and, and keeps that whole cowboy vibe going so continue to do that get some nice pictures put them in the pipeline hopefully book some more westerns
0: well good luck to you again ladies and gentlemen uh, Mr. Ray Buffer, I appreciate it. I'm going to have your, your links on the episode show notes so everybody will know how to find you.
1: Yeah, no, it, it sounds good. I, I regret that I didn't get to find out much about you. So maybe the next time we talk, uh, you can tell me a little bit about your background and uh, we can share some more stories.
0: My pleasure. My pleasure. Um, nowhere near as interesting uh, as yours, but we we both lived in Florida. I lived uh, over in Naples, Florida for, for a minute myself. Yeah, so.
1: Naples is beautiful. I love um, um, oh, it up from Naples, but I love Sanibel and Captiva over on that yeah show. for sure famous,
0: right? Yeah, beautiful. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, again, it was uh, my great honor to uh, to have Ray on the show. And um, yeah, please check him out. And you'll uh, well, let's keep our fingers crossed that he uh, he's not on the cutting room floor for uh, for <laughs> for, uh, for bullet, bullet train. train. <laughs> <laughs> Time will tell. Time will tell. (laughs) All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you. All right, thank you, Andrew. And there you have it. Once again, thank you so much to Ray for coming on the show. Definitely check out those show notes that I mentioned at the beginning of the show so you can take a look at his links and website. Oh, and speaking of links and websites, don't forget that Stamper Cinema now has a website of our own. That's right. You can find us at StamperCinema.com. Admittedly, the website is still a work in progress, but I think it looks pretty good. I think it looks okay. Um, what do you need to know about the website? Well, you can listen to the podcast on it. You can leave a review, which, you know, I've only been kind of hounding at you guys for two years. Please leave some more reviews. Uh, so now this will make it even easier. You can subscribe to kind of like a, like a newsletter. So every time I do something new, it'll notify you. Uh, I've got blogs on there. So I think I've already posted a couple. And I'll be doing a couple, you know, each and every month, whatever I'm thinking about. So it'll be a good opportunity to, to read a little bit. You can engage with them as well. So as long as you have a Facebook account, you can leave comments on. We'll shoot not just the blog, but even the the episodes. Um what else do you need to know? You can donate. Uh now, of course, Stanford Cinema is now and always will be free, but you know, maybe you'd like to be a silent contributor and you know leave a buck or two I mean it, it doesn't cost a lot but it's not cheap so if you'd like to you know chip in and you know support the show a little bit I am you know, I'll never say no to that but uh of course it's certainly not a requirement and what else do you need to know about the website oh it has a voicemail feature so maybe you're listening to this podcast now and you have some questions on you know what Ray and I talked about or maybe, things that I didn't talk about that you'd like to maybe engage with, uh, you can leave me a voicemail or maybe you want to say something funny, or if you've got ideas for future shows, just hop on the website, leave a voicemail. I don't know. Maybe if it's super funny, I might even like read it here on a later episode. So I don't know. I don't know. Again, it's new. It's very, very uh, fluid and organic, and things are changing, but there's a lot to be excited about where Stamper cinema is going and that is all a testament to you. So, thank you very much for listening. Thank you to those that leave reviews, rate it, subscribe, tell your friends about it, share it on social media. It does mean a world to me. So I, I'm extremely appreciative for that. And that's all the time we've got. Again, thank you very much for listening. We'll catch you next time on another episode of Stanford Sandbox.